Okay, so anyway, so be praying for, for them. And, uh, and then one last thing you might want to put on your calendar if you don't have it on there is October 23rd, which is about three weeks away, is the harvest party. Uh, and uh, so pray for good weather. Uh, it's always good because we do it outside, do it out back. So we really need to have good weather several days in advance so that it doesn't rain and turn muddy and everything out there. Uh, so be praying for that. But also just be praying because they do need some help in manning, manning game booths. I think they would like to have around 20 each year, uh, different kind of games. Uh, and uh, basically the kids play a game, they get a ticket, they collect all the tickets that they can, and they cash them in for prizes. And then, you know, there's time to fellowship with with friends and, and get to know our, uh, maybe some new people coming to the church. So we, we will be going out and sending a flyer out and going door to door and inviting people to come to this. So just keep that in mind. I don't know what the date is we'll do the take into the streets uh, door knocking invitation. They're probably the week, probably the weekend before that, I would assume, or the Sunday before, which would be the 17th of August. Um I'm sorry, 17th of October. Um, okay, that's everything announcement-wise. So let's turn over to the, the book of Psalms. We're going to read uh, Psalm 125. It's five verses, rather quick. Uh, but we'll use our these verses as a just a point of prayer. Yes, sir. I think uh, the 16th, uh, we're supposed this class is supposed to clean the church. Yeah. My youngest son is getting married. We got, we'll be in Tennessee. Just okay. You guys know no, that's soon. okay. We'd be here. Not everybody yes. makes it, but uh, thanks for letting me know. And we'll be, yeah, yeah, we're leaving the 14th, 15th, and 16th. All right, so well, we won't come back we'll leave something for you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine. We'll thank you for, thank you for letting me know that. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, it, it, it goes kind of quick. Basically, vacuum, clean the toilets, you know, restock paper, empty the trash. Mop the living the uh, lobby floors. Yeah. There's not a whole lot, but yeah, uh, we we'd love to help. But we're just not really okay, well, that's, that's fine. Not everybody makes it. I mean, if everybody made it, we wouldn't have anything to do for some people. There'd be too many too many people. But that's a problem we've never faced. So anyway, <laughs> okay. So so uh, um, so Psalm chapter one twenty five. We're we're going to read that just just as a reminder. These verses as we read these, what we're doing is we're we're we're, we're applying God's word to our prayer. We're using the per, the verses as a prayer point, and uh, so I've given you some things to pray about. Uh, I'll open in prayer, and then I'll stop, and people can jump in and pray. And then when you know two, three, five, whatever, or nobody else wants to pray, then I'll close in prayer, and we'll get busy on the lesson. So let's start reading Psalm chapter one twenty five, verse one. <clears throat> they that trust in the Lord shall be as shall be as, as a Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abideth forever. As the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about his people from henceforth even forever. For the rod of the wicked shall not rest upon the, the lot of the righteous, unless the righteous put forth their hands unto iniquity. Do good, O Lord, unto those that be good, and, the, and to them that are upright in their hearts. As for such as turn aside unto, unto their crooked ways, the Lord shall lead them forth with, with the workers of iniquity, but peace shall be upon Israel. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the opportunity to pray before we begin to study. We just ask, Lord, that you would uh, hear our prayers and respond, Lord, uh, and uh, let us see the power of God moving in the lives of people. 
Lord, we want to pray for Bob Klein. Just lift him up to you, Lord, and uh, his situation with his legs and and other other ailments that he's got going on. Father, I pray that you would move in his life, that you would touch his body, that and remove those those things that are keeping him from serving you, Lord. I know he loves you, and I know that he cares for you, and he cares about your word, and uh, he would be here if his body wasn't in such pain. So I pray for him uh, and ask for your your blessing on, on, on his life, Lord. I also want to pray, Father, as we see this verse, that, that, that as the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about his people from henceforth forever, Lord. And it's just as a reminder, Lord, that you that we ask for you to be to surround us, both with your angels and with your with your love, with your grace, with your mercy, uh, Lord, that it would prevent um, the enemy, Father, from uh, from attacking your your people. And so we pray for that. We ask for your hand to be upon them and and, and all of us, Lord. In Jesus' name, we pray. <clears throat> Lord, thank you for uh, the word you've given us here in the very first verse. Lord, help us to stay in your word and. Stay in prayer so that we cannot be moved. Help our faith to be strong. And we thank you, Lord, that we know someday we'll be with you and we will abide forever with you. Amen. Just help us to run the race here on earth, Lord. Father, we conclude, conclude in prayer, Lord. I just, I'm just looking at verse 4, Lord, and it says, uh, do good unto those that be good. So, Lord, I pray and I ask, Lord, help us to be good according to your word, according to your, your expectation of us, Lord. Help us to, to be good, not just, not in the human thinking, Lord, but in, in the, an understanding of what that means, which means to be abiding in your word. And so we pray, Father, for, for your strength and for your help in that. Help them to be upright in our hearts in all times, Lord, doing things according to your word. We just thank you and praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> okay, so we're um, back in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 today. And um, so I want to, what I call this is protecting the ministry because it's kind of what Paul is is uh, starting to move towards. And so if you, in the first five chapters, just as a reminder, in the first five chapters of this of this book so far, we've been encouraged by Paul's example as he explains both the why he ministers and the his passion for his ministry for for in, for helping to endure his passion to endure uh, that helps him to teach the, the in the face of difficulty. So, so Paul his example for us is that he's enduring. His example for us is that he has a passion for ministry. His example for us is that he cares and he does this to please the Lord. And so we take that from the first five chapters just as a reminder of that. So Paul, just to remind you, Paul had been plagued from the moment that he was sent out of Antioch. That was his sending church when he went out as missionary. Uh, as he was sent out of Antioch to take the message of the gospel to the world, he has been plagued uh, all the while with those who would try to cut off the truth to the Gentiles or to take everyone back to the life of the law in the Old Testament. That, that was what their desire was. They, first, they wanted to kill Paul and stop him if they could. Then they wanted to re refute his, his messages. So as he ministered around, ministered around the world, the threats that he had that he's faced daily consistently 
uh, grew, but he remained encouraged. And that's something that we can take. No matter what comes at us to try to stop us, uh, we can be encouraged by how Paul was encouraged and he kept, he kept going and was motivated. And so uh, he was encouraged even in the face of life-threatening circumstances uh, by life-protecting truths. That was where Paul drew his strength from the Word of God, from his walk with the Lord, from the Holy Spirit, and so on. So from the opening verses, if you look over verse chapter 1, verse 4 real quick, just as a reminder, from the opening verses of this letter, he knew what he faced and where his comfort came from. He said in 1 Corinthians chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4, he says, Who comforted us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble, by the comfort... Wherein, uh, wherewith we ourselves are comforted. He's saying, he said, the, the Lord comforted me, and I took what I was being comforted with, and I gave it to other people. I comforted them with what God had comforted me with, which for us to understand that directly is, he comforted people with the Word of God, with the relationship with God. Uh, and then so uh, he was, he's responding to the accusations from the outsiders of the church. So Paul left Corinth after being there for 18 months, these people came in behind him and they tried to dis- destroy everything that he had done. And um, whether they were the leaders of the church or not, we don't know, but we do know that they spoke highly offensively about what Paul was doing and what Paul was saying and teaching and so on. Um, <coughs> if you look down in verse 8, Acts 2 second, second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, we'll see another step in this process. He says, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of your trouble, of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, and we were pressed out of measure, above strength, in so much that we despaired even of life. But we had this sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust ourselves, but in God, which raiseth the dead. There was Paul pointing to, hey, this is where I get my strength. It doesn't matter what happens to me, he says. God raises the dead. So I have no fear. That's basically where he was starting that whole thing off. And then we went through all of those, you know, those chapters. And so, so as we pass through the first five verses, or first five chapters, let me just kind of give you an overview, walking through these first five chapters. We're not going to look at any verses there, but just as a reminder, I think I have it in your handout. Chapter one, uh, Paul talked about he offered comfort and he offered purpose. That's what we get out of chapter one: comfort and purpose. In chapter two, chapter two was loaded. We spent a lot of time in chapter two. Uh, we saw eight distinct Christian attitudes that we should possess. If you recall those attitudes, we talked about them. He also gave us a, what I call a ninth attitude, which was the attitude of forgiveness. And we spent a lot of time on forgiveness talking about that. He also laid out for us a valid message that we are to share with the world. Uh, and so um, he, that, so we, we understand our message. What, what are we communicating? We find that in chapter 2. We also see in chapter 2 that he started moving us toward the need for us to be engaged in ministry. So what Paul is doing is in chapter 1 and 2, here's some comfort, here's some attitudes, now here's the, now here, it's time to get involved in serving the ministry. Chapter 2 gave us that. Um, he talked about us being, that God considered us competent, if you recall that, and he considered us able to minister. And then the last thing we see in chapter 2 was he introduced us to Remember I talked about the door of Troas? If you recall, the door of Troas. That was where Paul was directed by God. He, he went back to remind himself of, uh, of that. Um, well, let's see, yeah. I'm trying 
trying to remember myself. Okay, so we kind of related that. So okay, so sometimes you got to go back to to the moment of your salvation to remember what God did in your life and how significant that was, and then you take that and you put it back into your own ministry because that's a reminder. That's what Paul needed. That when he was waiting to hear from Titus, he went back to Macedonia. And it was like, well, why did he go back? He could have waited where he was at. He, I mean, he expected Titus to come back to where he was, where he was at uh, in Ephesus. And Paul says, you know what? I've waited long enough. I'm going to go to Macedonia while I'm waiting. And he did meet Titus in Macedonia, and he was encouraged by meeting. But, but why did he go back there? He needed to be strengthened in his own history with God. He needed to be strengthened in his own history. So I call that a, a Troas moment. And we talked about that in chapter 2 as well. Chapter 3 also, Paul began to expand our role in ministry and the action that we are, to call, we are called to take, the actions we're called to take, to bring the knowledge of the glory of God to the world through ministry. We have a responsibility. All of us have a responsibility as Christians to bring the glory of God to them. That's what ministry is all about. And so uh, chapter 3, we talked about uh, remember, we talked about the difference between the word veil and veil. Veil, V-A-I-L, uh, and veil, V-E-I-L. The difference between those, we looked at that as a lesson on the hope of glory, and that we look forward with hope of the coming fulfillment of God's promises. And uh, so we, we kind of looked back and, and uh, compared Moses when he was wearing the veil. And then... Um, uh, at the same time, through all of these chapters, we've seen him, we've seen Paul walk us through several reasons for being involved in ministry, starting in verse in chapter three, with the reality that God sees us as sufficient and able. And by the time we get to chapter three and four or four and five, we learn of the importance of engaging in ministry and enduring in ministry. And we talked about all of that. So we've talked about engaging in ministry, enduring in ministry by abounding in ministry, so that we can labor in ministry. That's what chapters 4 and 5 is about. That brings us to chapter 6. Um, but before we jump into chapter 6, let me give you a, just a little bit of a... Um, probably most of you are familiar with this, this concept. But in the context of Scripture, when you look at chapter, chapter, at the end of chapter 5 and beginning of chapter 6, what, what we see is there is there's not a... There, if you were to take the word chapter 4 out... I'm sorry, chapter 6 out... And just keep right on going from, from the end of verse 21 of chapter 5 into chapter 6, verse 1. It's a continuing thought. It's a continuing thought. Not only that, chapter 6 blend, bleeds or blends right into chapter 7. If you did the same thing, took the words chapter 7 out, and it would just blend right in. So, so I'll bring that up because, remember, we talked about this is kind of an actually a good thing because it causes us to really focus on what Paul is teaching us because like I told you before this is not a study that's kind of that's typical where we can like go verse by verse expositorily preaching or teaching the verses in a, in a, a linear order we kind of have to jump back and forth and go back and forth back and forth as Paul sometimes we have to go forward to get what Paul is trying to say at, at the back because because his thoughts are kind of scattered, he's this is more of a testimonial cha uh, letter uh, than it is a doctrinal letter. There's a lot of doctrine in it, but it's more of a testimonial about why he did what he did and why we should do what what he did. And so, 
chapters, the chapter divisions, I don't know if you know this, maybe you don't, maybe you do, but the chapter divisions, I mean, they did, when they wrote, the, when Paul wrote, he didn't write in chapters and verses. He just wrote like you do, write, write a letter, paragraph, right, the whole letter. And back in the 1500s, um, there's a couple of different potential names, so I won't give you the names of who supposedly did this. But in about the 1500s, um, 1550s, the, uh, they started breaking things down into chapters, mainly because you know it's like it's like anything. If if you if you read a, a novel and now you want to find that one place where that statement was made, that's like that that changed your life. That one statement in that novel. How do you find it? How do you find? It? I mean, it's a 400-page novel with you know 10,000 words in it. How do you find it? Well, you know, you could start numbering all the sentences. Right? And that's kind of what they did. They broke it down into chapters. They numbered all the sentences. And that's where we get chapters and verses. Uh, and actually, in the Geneva Bible, uh, which was one of the uh, forerunners of the King James Bible, the Geneva Bible is, where the, is one of the first Bibles that actually use verses and chapters. And so, anyway, I just want to bring that up just because I think it's interesting uh, that even though Paul is kind of jumping around in his personal letter uh, to, the, to the church, um, you know, we had to have some way to, to find where he's talking about things and do a comparison. He said it here, and he said it there, and we bounce back and forth. So anyway, let's look at the verses. Let's look at, we're only going to get to verse 10. Uh, so let's start in verses 1 and 2. We'll read that, and then we'll, then we'll get into chapter 6, verse 1. We then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain, then he has a parenthesis here. For he saith, I have heard thee in time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I secured thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And I'll go ahead and read down through verse 4. Give me no offense into any, in anything, that the ministry be not blamed. But in all things are proven ourselves as the ministers of God, in much patience and afflictions and necessities and distresses. And he goes on to list several other things that I'll talk about in a minute. So the first thing we need to see... We need to execute, I use the phrase execute because it's to, it's to take action on, the grace of the gift, uh, the gift of the grace of God. Because Paul says in verse 1, at the end of verse 1, that we should uh, not receive the grace of God in vain. So there's a, there's a way, there's a, how do we execute receiving the grace of God not in vain? And so we need, first of all, let's understand what this gift of grace is, actually is. And so God has given you something, and, uh, and I know salvation, but I'm not talking about that necessarily. God has given you something that is beyond any value of human gifts. That is His grace. That's the gift, right? I know we talk about the gift of life, and then we're, so we're moving beyond that here in just a moment. And I gave you a definition. I've talked about this in the past, but I have it written in your notes as well. Grace is defined as the absolutely free expression of the loving kindness of God to men, having as its only motive the beneficial the benevolent, love, loving kindness of God himself. It is unmerited and unearned favor from God. That's, that's, that's grace. That is God, God says, you know what? It's the absolute free expression of me loving you. I'm going to give you grace. That's, that's what God did. That definition, but if you read the definition, the definition is not exclusive to salvation alone. So we always kind of link grace and salvation and the gift and stuff, and Paul kind of uses the phrase here in a minute. But the definition is not exclusive to salvation alone. But anything that God gives you is an expression of his love and grace towards us simply 
because he is God. So whatever comes from God is is because of his grace. So Paul speaks actually in these first two verses, he speaks about three grace gifts. I'll just call them grace gifts right now for the sake of defining them. Three grace gifts. Number one, we understand that grace, we are saved, of course, that's the first gift, salvation, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. And we already know that. I'm going to put that in there just for the sake of, because I don't want to lose track of that. But the second great gift that God has given to us is the, is the also by grace we are made a minister in God. We are made a minister for God. That's grace. God allowed us to serve Him. I mean, He didn't need us. Think about that. He doesn't need us to reach the world. He could just do a God thing and make everybody saved. I don't know how he would actually do a God thing, but you know what I'm saying. He could just make everybody be saved. And he could eliminate sin. He could wipe out this the, the wicked one. I mean, and he will, but he could do that now if he wanted to. But right now he's given us grace to serve him. In fact, in Ephesians, look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse, verse 7. Paul kind of refers to this when he's talking to the church at Ephesus. He says in Ephesus chapter 3, and in verse 7, he says, Whereof I was made a minister, according to the gift of the grace of God, given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Now you can put your name in that if you want to, and I think you should. I think it's important that we all understand that we, to take the word I and change it to we, or use it you, I, was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God. God gave us the gift of grace. His grace was allowing us to serve Him. Paul wants us all to understand that. It, it is a privilege to serve the living God in ministry. Not that you're in a ministry, but that you're serving God, and that's a privilege. In chapter 5, we learn more about being given ministry reconciliation. Remember, we looked at that last week in chapter 5, verse 18. We were given the ministry of reconciliation. That's, that's part of this giving, um, made a, being made a minister. Not only were we given the, 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 uh, the ministry of reconciliation, but in verse 19 of chapter 5, we were also given the word of reconciliation. And so these gifts, uh, let me back up. I'm going a little bit too far. Number three, the third thing that we have has been given is the righteousness of God through Christ being made sin for us. Go back to verse 5, chapter one, chapter 21. If he, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. We see another, this other gift. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So we are number, the third gift of grace is that we have been given the righteousness of God through Christ being made sin for us. So, we, so that's a gift, that God sees you now as righteous once you got saved. So these gifts can be received in holiness, and this is where Paul's concerned. You can receive these gifts in holiness or in vanity. Now, he didn't talk about holiness, but you can contrast vanity with holiness pretty easily. right? You're either vain or holy, one of the two. Take a pick. And so Paul cautions us that we are to receive the grace of God, not in vanity, but just the opposite, which is implied holiness. And the, the, the chapter, well, this chapter is going to make the point to receive God's grace in holiness. If you look at, look, no, see how I, was, I told you chapter 6 is tied to chapter 7? Look at chapter 7, verse 1. 
Having therefore, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. He's linking, actually I have it in my notes here, my Bible. I have verse 7, where it says, having these promises tied to verses 16, 17, and 18 of, the, of chapter 6. Because they all blend right into that. We'll get to that next week in those, those verses. But anyway, um, so, let me just say this. Chapter 6 is not filled with promises. That's what he says, having therefore these promises. Chapter 6 is not a, not a chapter listed of different kind of promises we get. What he's referring to is the grace that God has given to us. That, that's the promise of grace. Okay, so we've received grace to minister. That's chapter. That's, that's the second gift. But let's talk about that back in verse 1. Notice that he says in chapter 6, verse 1, we then as workers, together with him. So the partnership is, is identified right away. The word we, who is the we? Paul, Paul's not talking about his, his ministers or his co-laborers like Timothy and Titus. He's not talking about them. Who do you think he's talking about? I think he's talking about we as partnered with you in Christ. You and, you and the Lord are serving together as partners. So in your life, as you remember in verse 17 of chapter 5, it says you are a new creature. Behold, all things become new. The old things passed away. Behold, all things become new. And so in your life as a new creature, with all things becoming new, you are now in fellowship with Christ as Savior. So work together with Christ in your ministry. Because Christ has a ministry. He has a ministry. He's, he's going to reach the lost. That's, that's his purpose, is to reach the lost. We are laboring together now. We are partnering with Christ. and So our desire also should be to do what he's doing, which is to reach the lost. So you're also in fellowship with other believers, of course. So partner with, them, with other believers as well. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, so that's in the first letter, Paul says, We are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, and ye are God's building. And so there's a partnership with both with God or with Christ in ministry and with other per, other people, um, some people forget that there should be partnering with with other people in the ministry. Sometimes, there, you know, sometimes there's a lot of backbiting and bickering and arguments and stuff in, in ministry, and it destroys the ministry because Satan can work his way in there and use that that I don't think I'm a partner. I think I'm I am the one that made the ministry. I am the one that's running the ministry. I am the one that's in charge of the ministry. And that kind of attitude destroys because there's no partnership in those kind of thoughts. And so we don't want that to happen. We want to, we want to avoid that at all costs. Then he says something interesting. He, he quotes in verse 2, he quotes Isaiah chapter 49, verse 8. Now, so it almost says it exactly the same, so we don't need to turn back to Isaiah 49. It's interesting, though, that he would quote um, that chapter because that chapter... Um, well, he uses that verse as an emphasis on the immediacy of our service to reach the lost. There's an immediate need. God says in Isaiah that the whole purpose of Isaiah, this chapter in Isaiah 49, is to basically say that he is he will be favorable to the Messiah in the promise to return to restore the nation of Israel to him. So there's a promise that the, that the ones that the Messiah is trying to reach, he will reach. And what he's saying to us is that Paul is applying that concept both to the Gentiles and to the ministers, which are the servants. And so first off, to the ministers. Now, 
go look at verse 8, or verse 2 again, the last few words. Now is the day of salvation. Now we've heard that before, right? We, we probably have used that before. Uh, normally we apply this verse in the context of an invitation at the end of the message. Brian does it. I've done it. We've all done it. You know, uh, anybody want to get saved? Now is the day of salvation. Now is the day you should get saved, right? So we say that. And that's true. But today equally is good. a good day. And let me back up just a minute here. So for the ministers, what Paul is trying to minister would be you and me. Now is the acceptable time to serve. So not only is Paul saying now is the acceptable time for the lost to get saved, now is the acceptable time for the ministers to serve. You know why? Because if you don't serve, they won't get saved. You see how he connects all of that together in the, in the concept that he's talking about in chapter 6. You need to serve in some way so they will be presented with an opportunity to get, served, to get saved. So now is the day of salvation. Now is the day of service. That's what that's that's what he brings. That's why he brings up Isaiah forty nine in this passage here. So it's true today, equally a good day to get to to speak and to share the gospel that the lost are rescued, so they don't delay taking up the work of ministry. So don't. So we should not take it up. Okay. Then he goes to verse three. Verse three is a warning, giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. So. Um, so we're still talking about a, uh, receiving the grace of God, not in vain. So the word vain, the word vain, you know, I think everybody you can equate that word. Uh, basically, it means meaningless, aimless. Literally, it means to be useless. Don't receive the gift that God has given to you in vain. And, and uh, just don't make it meaningless. Don't make it aimless. Don't make it worth uh, uh, worth nothing. Paul is saying that you you are un, unaccompanied with a demonstrate. This is what he's referring to. You are you are unaccompanied with a demonstration of the Spirit and power. Essentially, you are fruitless to receive God's grace in vain. You're a fruitless Christian. And Paul says, don't be that way. So he's pointing vanity back to what he said at the judgment seat. When he talked about chapter 5, he talked about the judgment seat of Christ. Now think about this for just a minute. Do you want your works to be viewed by Christ as uh, um, holiness or vanity? You know, right, uh, your works will be judged for you know gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. So the first three is holiness. The second three are vanity. So you're going to get judged. You want to, you, you know, it's your choice. You pick. I want my judgment to be holiness. So in my, my ministry, I'm going to try to devote to being holy as much as possible, whenever possible. I don't do a good job. I don't think any of us actually does a great job. But that's also grace. God gives us grace. So anyway, at a minimum, your testimony to share the salvation with others uh, should be uh, that that would be a desire that we should have that we that our testimony even if you know even if we're not involved in you know in ministry we have a testimony we should be able to share that as well but he also says in verse three says give no offense in anything now the word offense means not to cause an occasion for stumbling don't offend do not be the reason a sinner rejects who you are as an ambassador for Christ and miss their day of salvation by your vain actions. That's what Paul is, is warning us. Don't, don't give offense in anything that the ministry is blamed. Do not be the reason a sinner rejects who you are. Do not be a reason that the sinner rejects Christ. 
Now I know some people get offended, right, in church. They get offended some of the craziest reasons. He preached too long. They get offended by that. He, they get offended, offended because the music was boring. They get offended because there's, the, the church is always asking for money. They get offended because there's no the church is just isn't friendly as much as I want it to be. Well, you're part of the church, so be friendly, you know. And so anyway, but that's 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 where people go, and then they they bail out. So Paul is constantly striving to not cause somebody to fail, or to fall, or to refuse salvation. Now we don't have time to look at Romans chapter 14, but I w- I will turn to Romans chapter 14 and verse 21. But Paul, when he was writing to the church in Rome. And he got to Romans chapter 14. That whole chapter is about causing somebody to be a stumbling block or causing somebody to stumble because you're the stumbling block. That's a better way to say it. So I don't have, without going through the whole chapter 14, there's a couple places that I want, that I would just point out. Verse, uh, verse 21, it's good neither, it's good to neither, neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended and made or made weak. And so we could, you know, there's a couple of other verses. I think verse 13, let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. So we don't want to cause somebody to stumble and trip over uh, our ministry and miss their day of salvation. So Paul, basically, this is Paul's, his heart. He would go to any length to accomplish God's will. Whatever it takes, he would do it. He was self-sacrificing and willing to endure any hardship. Back in verse 3 again, he worked so hard to not offend in anything. Those, those two words are significant. Give no offense in anything that the ministry be blamed. We want to protect the ministry that it does not get blamed. So not just his own ministry. Paul's not just talking about his ministry, not what he was doing. He's not, he knows as long as he's in alignment with his partner, Christ, and he's in alignment with the ministry and the methods of Christ, that, that that's fine. But Paul did not want any fault to be ascribed to the ministry of reconciliation. Because that's the ministry we were given in chapter 5, right? We were given the ministry of reconciliation. How that looks... For each individual person, the various ministries that we can serve in, that's okay. That's, that's not what we're talking about. Everything is a ministry of reconciliation. And so the, the point that Paul is making here is our actions speak volumes many more times than our words alone. Our actions talk louder than our words. Remember Paul, or Jesus Christ said in Matthew 15, 19, For out of the heart proceedeth evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. Those old kind of things, they come out of you if we're, not, if we're not careful. But then he also said in verse 4, he says, so okay, for verse one, verse 3, give no offense in anything that the minister be not ashamed, but in all things, approving ourselves as the ministers of God in much patience, afflictions, and necessities, and necessities and distresses. It's interesting, he says, but in all things, approving ourselves. So, um, let me just say this. Paul's not telling you that you should approve your ministry. You can't put your stamp on your own ministry. I know some people think they can. Some people try to do it, but that's not what Paul is talking about. The word approve means to set in place. It means to stand with. In other words, be firm in your ministry and align yourself with the heart, the mind, and the work of Christ. That's what it means to, to, um, 
to approve yourselves. To, the word approve is actually an important word. The best way to see it is looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, which we looked at last couple of weeks ago. He said in 2 Corinthians 4, 2, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, not handling the word of God deceitfully, but by the manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. That's what Paul's focus was in there. And an even better passage than that would be in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, where Paul says, but God commended his love. That word commended, God commended his love. That word commended is approved. It's the same word as approved. But God approved his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So God commended his love. He approved his love to us for the lost man and proved the dimensions of that love by the death of his son. See, this is how much I love you. I'm going to die for you. That's what Christ did. That's what, well, it was actually God became Christ, died on the cross. So it's a matter, the question then is a matter of what level of sacrifice will you go to make this day and every day the day of salvation for everyone? How much will you sacrifice yourself? There's a song, and I, I'm not going to sing it, but there's a song that's entitled, Am I a Soldier of the Cross? I think most of you may have heard that a time or two. Let me just read it to you real quick. Am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb, or shall I fear to own his cause, or blush to speak his name? Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? Are there no foes for me to face? Must I now stem the flood? Is this vile world a friend to grace to help me on to God? Sure, I must fight if I would reign. Increase my courage, Lord. I bear the toil, endure the pain, supported by the word. Now there's a couple more verses I just didn't want to add them on. But that's a beautiful passage, of a song, as a reminder. Uh, you know what? It's your choice. Are you, going to be, are you going to be carried to heaven on flowery beds of ease? Or are you going to, are you going to sail through bloody seas to win people to Christ? What, it's our choice. What are we going to do? The passage, this passage is a description of Paul's life and ministry, but it should be ours as well. This is how we should see our own ministry. Paul exemplified the highest standard of Christian service as a pattern for us all, and his self-sacrificial, single-minded zeal and passion to preach is a testimony against comfortable, self-centered Christianity found in many churches today. Too many churches are all about being comfortable. Too many churches are about filling your desires, instead of serving God. Too many ch- churches are soft churches. They, they want to they be carried on fl- flowery beds of ease. So, um, he was single, self-sacrificial, single-minded, zealous, passionate, are we. So what is expected of a minister today? Let me give you a couple of things. I think, I don't have the whole verses ripped out, or listed out, but I did list the verse uh, next to it. Uh, what is expected of a minister today? So Paul tells this to Timothy. He writes these things to Timothy. In 2 Timothy, the letter, his second letter. First, learn to endure hardness. So sometimes we just, you know what? We just need to learn how to endure hardness. He says in 2 Timothy 2, 3, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So, you know what? We need to exercise ourselves so we can be strengthened enough so we can endure. He also says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10, not just endure hardness, but endure all things. Endure all things. He says, therefore I, incur, I, therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus 
with eternal glory. See, even right there, Paul is very, very clear that I'm going to do what it takes so that the so that they can be saved, they can obtain salvation. I'm not. I'm going to because the day is now is the day of my service because now is the day of their salvation. I'm going to do what I can do. The third thing he says in Second Timothy four two four three is endure doctrinal falsity and hold fast to firm doctrine. He says for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. So if people are not going to endure sound doctrine, I mean, we have the choice to endure sound doctrine. We should endure sound doctrine. We must endure sound doctrine. We don't let false doctrine creep into our church and take our mind, go down this, this, this rabbit trail someplace, and the next thing you know, you're falling off a cliff of spiritual uh, 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 firmness. And then the last thing, he says, endure afflictions in Second Timothy 4, 5. He said, but watch in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. So everything Paul talks about in, in chapter 6, in chapter 5, 4, 5, and 6, he, he kind of tells Timothy in those four verses very quickly uh, the same kind of, kind of thing. And then I'm just going to wrap this up because uh, we don't have time to really dig down into it. But in chapter in 2 Corinthians 6, let's go back to uh, the end of verse 4, and we'll all read all the way to verse 10. Because Paul, Paul lists some things. He says, But in, in all things, approving ourselves as the ministers of God, in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in washings, in fastings, by pureness, of, by knowledge, by long suffering, by, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the left, right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report, by good report, as deceivers and yet true as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. And then we're going to pause right there for next week. But it's just an amazing thing as I look at these. So I kind of, like I wrote, wrote the whole list down. There's 27 things listed there actually. And we would be here for a couple of days trying to, you know, dig down into what these words mean. So I kind of broke them down into... Uh, two different categories. There's 15. There's a list of 15 difficulties that that all ministries endure. So how are we going to endure that? So and I kind of I kind of kind of broke down the 15 into th- three groups of five. You have physical difficulties, patience, afflictions, necessities. No, no necessities means to fulfill a want. That's what that means to fulfill a want. Distresses and stripes. And stripes would be wounds or injuries. Um, so there's physical difficulties that we all face in our ministry there's also spiritual difficulties and imprisonments and tumults which is confusion your mind is kind of confused Uh, labors, watches and fastings now I I listed all the spiritual difficulties because I was thinking that you know what when people get put in prison one of the things that they're in prison for is to break their spirit (coughs) you know trying to trying to modify their behavior by breaking their spirit. And then in verse 6, we have mental difficulties in ministry. Pureness, maintaining a pure life. Sometimes it's hard. It can be hard to maintain a pure life. And then there's knowledge. I don't have enough. I have too much. I apply it wrong. I don't apply it at all. Long-suffering or patience. Kindness. um, You know, both giving and receiving. And then the Holy Ghost. 
Uh, and then there's there's 12, what I call res, uh, resources for strength. So Paul listed the 15 things that he goes through difficulty, and then he lists 12 things that give him strength to face his ministry. He says to grow in verses 6 and 7. He, he grows by the love unfeigned, which is exactly what he told Timothy as well. The word of truth. So love, the word of truth, the power of God, and the armor of righteousness. Those four things get, help him to grow, to be strong. And then verses 8 and 9, uh, we have reputation, what I, what I, how I cataloged them. Honor, re, good report, being known, dying, but always living. And then the last one, verses 9 and 10, I think we had four there as well. Uh, always moving, to be chastened, to be rejoicing, to be made rich, and to possess all things. Paul got his strength out of those 12 resources for strength. So no matter what, you, in ministry, we're going to go through both difficulties and rejoicings, difficulties and struggles, difficulties, but at the same time, things that are, can strengthen us and encourage us. Sometimes people say, I don't want to be involved in ministry because they don't know how to get the strength that they need or they've lost the strength that they had and then they fail and they leave ministry. But don't be that kind of person. Just you, just do what Paul did. Just stay focused and, uh, and engage. Okay, so that's it. Uh, a couple minutes earlier tonight, today, but that's okay. Uh, so uh, let's pray and we'll be dismissed and... Uh, get in the main service. Father, heaven, Lord, thank you for this passage of scripture. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for Paul's example, Lord, and the the, um, the testimony of his ministry and what he was facing, what he was addressing and dealing with all the time. Yet he still had his eyes uh, on the goal, which was to 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 make it a day for salvation as, through a day of for service. And we pray, Father, that we would all keep that same focus in our minds and in our hearts. Help us to find exactly where we need to serve you. Uh, and if we are serving you already, help us to be stronger in our service. Uh, help us to grow in the ministry that we're in, that we might be able to be used according to your will and glorify you as, and glorify your son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Turn it off.